This podcast represents my opinion and the opinion of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I am not establishing a patient-physician relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions you may have. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Not Your Doc podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa, and I'm here again with Mr. Not Your Doc himself, Dr. Charles Tadros. How are you today? Very well, Vanessa. It's nice to see you again. Another gorgeous day in St. Louis. Oh my gosh, yeah, we've been spoiled. I have a feeling, I mean, November is next week, and I, I feel like they're just, the weather's going to shut it down for the year. Yes. It's going to be dreadful. At least no more, lawn mow- no more lawn mowing, some leaf picking for right now. Some that's raking. true. <laughs> Yeah, but it's going to be good. Okay, so um, today we're going to bring you another medical topic from Dr. Tadros, and that is high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. So before we get any more into it than that, I encourage anyone who's thinking to themselves right now when they just hear me say high blood pressure, I'm young and healthy. Discussion about high blood pressure won't be relevant to me. I encourage you to keep listening. I know as a lay person, a non-medical person working in a medical practice, I've been shocked, honestly shocked to see how many seemingly young and healthy patients um, that find out for the first time when they start seeing us that they have high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, it can happen much earlier and younger than you expect. Um, if you're a person that's already aware of your own blood pressure issues, or if you know you have a family history of high blood pressure, also keep listening. Um, one of Dr. Tadros's biggest strengths, in my opinion, is his ability to explain conditions like this, not only in a way that makes sense to the average non-medical person, um, but also helps us understand what we actually need to do, what actions we should take with the information. So you're, you're who I want to teach me about, well, about high blood pressure. Okay, yeah. so um, I, I need to offer up a confession, which is that... All I really know about high blood pressure is that it's connected to stroke. Yes. Like, that's it. So, and I have a feeling that there's more that you would want us to understand about uh, blood pressure than just that. So, sure. can you start off with what blood pressure is and then broadly why everyone should continue listening to this discussion about it? Well, thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Vanessa. Um High blood pressure, well, we'll start with just blood pressure. Everybody has blood pressure. You have to have blood pressure in order to survive, in order to exist. Blood pressure is just the the force from inside the blood vessels. Um, These are conduits. These are uh, pipes that run around uh, your body, attached to your heart, uh, to push blood out from your heart, and it it circulates all the way around your body. It's a closed system, and it comes back to your heart. And um, and it's just what, what the pressure is on the walls from the blood flow from the inside of the walls pushing outwards. And so is it a measurement of like how hard the heart is pumping and mm-hmm. con- and then contracting? It is. And, contracting and par- relaxing? Right. It's, it an, it's in part a measure of that, but actually it's more a measure of what we call peripheral vascular resistance. So it's actually how much pipe uh, you have. So as you can imagine, the more pipe and the smaller the pipe that you have, the more pressure on the walls if you're trying to squeeze the same amount of volume. Huh, okay. And so... Uh, blood vessels are, are throughout the whole body. Uh, like I said, the, the big hose that starts out of your heart is called the aorta, where the blood comes out of the heart to the rest of your body. 
is the only way it really comes out. And from that aorta, all sorts of branches go up to your neck and to your brain, into your eyeballs, and uh, from the aorta, blood vessels go to your spinal cord. And from the aorta, blood vessels go down to your arms. And from the aorta, as it goes down in your chest and belly, blood vessels come out to the kidneys and the intestines. And then eventually, the aorta finishes off in your uh, in your low abdomen, and you have blood vessels go down to your legs. And, um, wow, it has to travel a long, a long way to get down to your toes, huh? Yeah, that's correct. So we actually have miles and miles and miles of blood vessels throughout our body. We actually measure peripheral blood vessels. So just this is the in your arms, typically. You can actually measure your blood pressure in a variety of places in your body. But typically, uh, for primary care and outpatient medicine, it's typically measured by blood pressure cuff on your arms. In hospital settings and ICUs, we can measure in other ways with other monitors inside your blood vessels, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, central central blood pressure monitoring uh, through certain catheters, and uh, we could get readings other ways with ultrasound and stuff like that. But the typical way that most people interact with their own blood pressures, how they get to know about their own blood pressure numbers, is through uh, blood pressure cuffs, and okay. and we can come back and talk about that. Sure. Can you? Okay. So I know a typical blood pressure reading is made up of two numbers, right? Like someone will say your blood pressure is one twenty over eighty. That's right. What do those two numbers mean? Yeah, so if you can imagine, uh, 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 this is a this is one twenty over eighty millimeters of mercury of pressure, and you're like, well, there's no mercury in my blood. There's what are you talking about? Well, it turns out in the old days we could uh, we and we still have some of these. We don't see them too much, but we actually had columns of mercury, and you, as and you can actually watch the column of mercury try to balance itself out against your, your wall blood your wall resistance your wall uh, blood pressure. So it's actually measured in millimeters of mercury, mm-hmm. um, and whenever it's one twenty over eighty, it's one hundred twenty millimeters of mercury height. You actually as as or 128 millimeters from, let's say, the, you have a tube of mercury attached to a, a, uh, a flexible tube that goes to a blood pressure cuff around your arm, and actually, it's how high the, two, the, 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 the column of mercury goes. So, uh, whenever your heart's squeezing, your blood uh, your blood flow comes out to your art, 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 arteries in your arm. Your break, uh, and what happens is that um, that uh, that you can sense that the way we do it with. with Blood pressure cuffs all the way to uh, to uh, attach to a column of mercury, and as the as the heart squeezes, the blood pressure is higher for temporarily for mm-hmm. a fraction of a second. That's the one twenty, and as the heart relaxes, your 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 blood vessels collapse a little bit. They're elastic, so they collapse a little bit, um, and uh, that's the eighty. That's when the lower number. So mm-hmm. one twenty is the higher number, and the eighty is the lower number. That's kind of the peak blood pressure that your arteries will see, and uh, the lower uh, and the lower blood pressure that your arteries will see. Yeah. I was thinking about millimeters of mercury, and that's actually how we still measure barometric pressure in mm-hmm. in the atmosphere, right? Okay, yes. so this is kind of a similar right. concept that makes sense. So um, I know the words um, diastolic, or right, diastolic and systolic, mm-hmm. which is the top number and the bottom number, right? It's the systolic is the top number and systolic the diastolic is the top m- right. number. Right. Okay. Uh, yep. Uh, so systolic over diastolic, and so sometimes it's all, like a division problem: top number, bottom number. Sometimes it's side to side with a slash sign, sure. but it's that's right. Systolic is the higher of the two numbers, and diastolic is the lower of the two numbers, and that's it tells us the forces that the, your arteries are feeling. Yeah. And that's really what it is. It's it's an old fashioned technique that we still it's still very effective and helps us understand some risks that that come from too high or too long of a high blood pressure. Sure. Okay. So I just want to check my understanding on this again. But measuring blood pressure is actually measuring the force against the walls 
of our blood pressure or of our blood vessels. That's correct. Right. Okay. That's right. All right. And the 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 top number is that the the maximum pressure that our our blood vessels will experience mm-hmm. when the heart pumps. Right. And then the lower number is sort of like when the heart is most relaxed before right. it pumps again. Is that correct? That's right. Um, to, that is the so that's a range of pressure that our blood, the walls of our blood vessels are experiencing. That's correct. Yes. All right. Cool. All right. There. There we go. So, um, OK, so now that we know, like mechanically how it works, ca- can you answer for us this? Can I tell if I have high blood pressure based on how my body feels or can I tell if someone has high blood pressure just by looking at them? Right. Uh, that's a very common misconception. I mean, whenever I was young, I remember TV commercials coming on, calling it the silent killer. And we still call it the silent killer because sometimes the first sign that you have blood pressure problems, hypertension, mm. is a stroke or a heart stroke, attack or, yeah. or kidney failure. So it's silent for, and that's why you have to have it measured. You can't really feel it. Mm. Now, people mistake uh, high blood pressure by looking at somebody who's who's sweating or somebody who's red-faced mm. or somebody who's got bulging neck veins uh, or somebody who's got a little bleed in the white of their eye, their scleral subconjun- subconjunctival or scleral hemorrhage. And they interpret that as being a sign of hypertension or high blood pressure. And the answer is not almost never. Um, so uh, that's why you really can't wait for any any outward symptoms or signs. Mm. You have to actually go chase these numbers down sure. and, and keep track of them because blood pressure changes naturally over the course of your life. Right. Okay. So I, I know you're going to define for us what hypertension is. Can you mm-hmm. can you say because um, I know I know that you can your blood pressure can increase from certain activities or mm-hmm. whatever, but there's a difference between it, um, that momentary increased where it's technically high or elevated blood That's pressure right. versus the disease hypertension. That's Can you right. talk about the difference between those two? So like I said, everybody has high, uh, everybody has uh, blood pressure. We all have to have blood pressure. We all have numbers that tell us uh, how, how much force our walls of our arteries are experiencing. But the disease of elevated blood pressure, better known as hypertension or benign essential hypertension, that's what we typically. That's when we. It's a disease state. Mm. First, let, let me let me uh, let me talk. Uh, so, let me st- start saying, we'll we'll talk about the vast majority of people who are, have benign essential hypertension. There's a small number of people who have high blood pressure, elevated blood pressure, cons- persistently elevated, uh, over several readings over several days to weeks. That you can call it, you know, you can call it the disease hypertension. And there's a small number of people, young, uh, younger than 18 typically, that are found to have elevated blood pressures that are really hypertension. And those people are very special. We won't talk about them those, those mm. too much. That's why pediatricians will, you know, you'll check your blood pressure not very often in kids because we can pick up kidney disease and uh, uh, a certain endocrinological or, or hormone-related diseases um, and uh, certain blood vessel, congenital blood vessel abnormalities that sometimes kids are born with that sure. lead to hypertension. So it's a very special case. These are typically kids and youngsters and teenagers that are eventually found to have hypertension. They're not mm. our, they're not our typical uh, adult who have hypertension. Got it. So that's the first thing. So, <clears throat> yes. So the, the elevated blood pressure above, uh, turns out anything above 120 over 80 for the vast majority of us, now not everybody, is, is potentially something that needs to be rechecked mm. relatively re- relatively soon, within weeks to months. Um, and uh, so that's the first thing. It's much more complicated than that. But I want somebody 
to picture in their mind's eye, 120 over 80 for the vast majority of people that are going to be listening to my, our podcast. Um, our, that's what we're going to be targeting. Um, there are people who are diabetics and people very elderly that would probably be allowed to have a blood pressure higher than that, mm-hmm. 130 over 80. People with kidney disease, diabetes, or elderly can be allowed to be higher than that. But most of our people that we're going to be listening to this podcast will be 120 over 80 or, un- or under, or less than 120 over 80, I should say, not just 120 over 80. Sure. Okay, so um, if I if I am exercising, for example, if I am running as fast mm-hmm. as I possibly can, my heart starts pounding, right? And I can feel my pulse increase. Does my blood pressure increase That's when right. I'm exercising too? That's right. Okay, so how so? It's not hypertension just because I have a blood pressure right. over one twenty over eighty at a point in time. Right. When does it become problematic? So when you take the blood pressure is important, but you're correct. Thanks for bringing it around again. Um, it's normal, it's expected if you're under stress, under in pain or exercising to have elevated blood pressure. That's a temporary thing, minutes to hours sometimes. Okay. Um, pain or, 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 or anxiety or, um, uh, uh, or early part of hemorrhage, for instance, if you're mm. bleeding uh, from an accident, early part of hemorrhage, we expect your blood pressure to be higher. Um, that's appropriate, and uh, but what we're t- really talking about is people at rest that get their blood pressures checked at home or in okay. the office, uh, the, uh, the doctor's office. That's what we're talking about. So these are typically multiple readings, not just one, but several readings, oftentimes in different places, so home and office, uh, that are consistently above a certain level. Like mm-hmm. I said, 120 over 80 for most of us. Uh, for certain uh, groups of people, they can go they're allowed to be higher than that. Uh, so that's correct. So pounding heart rate, whenever you grab your laundry, run upstairs, pounding heart rate for a high pulse rate, or high, and then, uh, but we expect also elevated blood pressure. But we expect it to come back down, both the pulse and the heart rate, uh, with the, uh, the pulse, which is the heart rate, and the blood pressure. We expect that to be down in 15 minutes, let's say, okay. after running up the stairs. All right, that makes sense. Um, so, all right, so I want to know um, what counts as high blood pressure. Sure. Can you talk more about these? Um, wait, I'm referring now to um, an infographic again that we will link at the in the podcast description. This is from the American Heart Association, and it talks about the blood the categories of blood pressure. Mm-hmm. So, can you just go through go through with us here? We talked about normals, less than 120 over less than 80. That's right. What do we see? What are the the different categories and stages of high blood pressure after and, that? And by the way, this is whenever they do whenever they do recommendations or when they do research, it's important to kind of listen carefully because it's not 120 over 80 like we said. We it should be less than less 120 than, over 80. Yeah, that's like the max good right. one. So okay. it should be less than. Yeah. So uh, so normal is considered less than 120 over 80. 120 120 millimeters of mercury over 80 millimeters of mercury. Mm-hmm. That's considered normal. Elevated, and this is once again seated, and we can talk about what it takes to, to get a good blood pressure reading, mm-hmm. whether at home or at, uh, at the office. Elevated is 120 uh, to 129, um, and then the bottom should be at less than 80 still. Mm. So uh, so the top now, so it's elevated. If the top number is elevated by 10 points compared to the, um, the normal, the bottom is still less than 80, and that's considered elevated. Yeah. And then we have uh, two stages of hypertension. <clears throat> So uh, this is when we start thinking about treating people with medicines, um, uh, and we'll come back to that. But high blood pressure stage one is called hypertension, is 130 to 139, 130 millimeters of mercury pressure to mm-hmm. 139, uh, or a bottom number between 80 and uh, 89. 
So, so a too high top number over mm-hmm. a normal bottom number is still problematic and That's vice right. versa? That's right. Okay. So the first two, the normal and elevated, are and. Both you have to, both of them have to be in, the, in those ranges. The stage one hypertension starts at the or. Okay. It's either, uh, stage one is either, either 130 over 139 or uh, 80 or over 89. Mm. Okay. So that's stage one, um, and we'll come back to that. And stage two, as you can imagine, is even higher. It's a blood pressure of 140 or higher, or a, a, a bottom number of 90 or higher. So there's a pattern here. Yeah. There's a there's a pattern of uh, of uh, of ten points. Uh, you can notice from normal mm-hmm. to elevated to blood pressure stage one, as ten points. Uh, it goes by ten point increments. <clears throat> So, and then more severe cases, and these people sometimes can run around without any symptoms also, is called hypertensive crisis. And that's uh, higher than 180 for the top number and or higher than 120 for the bottom number. So that one, and even then, these people may not be feeling it, even though it's considered crisis level. Wow. Okay, so it's good to have those definitions. Um, You said you were going to tell us about, uh, you know, screening for high blood pressure. How do you get a good blood pressure reading, mm-hmm. and if there's a, say you're in your doctor's office and an elevated one is seen there, what are they gonna recommend that you do to follow up to get a, a good picture of what your average resting blood pressure is? Yeah, so if we're taking blood pressures in arms, and I've talked about mercury, which we know almost nobody uses anymore, mm-hmm. so it's a different type of blood pressure cuffs. You won't see a column of mercury uh, type of uh, blood pressure cuffs. Uh, you'll see something called aneroid, which is a dial one typically, or electronic blood pressure cuff. Um, so. You, what they'll have you do typically the ideal way to get a blood pressure check so you can know so if you can get a reproducible one most accurate one is that um, that uh, you'll uh, that uh, you will uh, be seated with your both feet on the ground and your arms at uh, uh, by your side uh, that's the first thing uh, not leaning forward that's the next thing all mm-hmm. these things will actually can alter your your uh, blood pressures, mm-hmm. uh, blood pressure readings. Uh, uh, if you have long sleeves, that should, should be your your arm should be out of long sleeve. It should be the blood pressure cuff should be on bare on skin, skin or, okay. or, or short sleeves. Um, uh, you should have your em- bladders empty. Mm. Turns out full bladder, leaning forward, not resting for ten or fifteen minutes before you right. take a blood pressure cuff, a blood pressure reading. Make a difference. Sometimes a slight difference. Sometimes a significant difference. Sure. Um, oftentimes, a lot of, some people will not want you to have caffeine right beforehand for the few mm-hmm. hours beforehand, etc. Uh, but those are the big ones. They're both feet on the ground, uh, arms uh, at, at heart level or left atrial level, um, bare skin or short sleeves, and the blood pressure cuff has to be sized correctly. Mm-hmm. That's another popular thing that happens is that. When we buy electronic blood pressure cuffs, they tend to come with one size. One size, yeah. So that's one of the problems. So the the the, the, the um, a lot of the blood pressure cuffs nowadays have markings that show what size arms it can go around. Mm. But the bladder, there's a velcro piece, but the bladder, that's an air bladder that you squeeze that you pump up and squeeze, close your blood uh, your blood flow, blood flow temporarily in your arm. The bladder should encircle your arm at least half, and oftentimes two thirds all the way around. Mm, okay. So if you have a blood, uh, if you have a a bladder that encircles all your arm that's too big okay. if you're if you have a bladder that encircles only a quarter of your arm that's too small sure and that also can give you false readings 
So there's kind of a bunch of little rules uh, that add up to uh, that to can give you um, either accurate or inaccurate, depending if you follow the rules or not. I know that we definitely see this like in our patients. If someone rushes in for their appointment and they've been in traffic or whatever, and they come right. in, and first thing we do is take their blood pressure. Right. It's likely to be much more elevated at that point than when we test take it again at the end of their appointment. Right. Well, yeah. Part of the problem with any doctor's office is that uh, is that they're on a kind of a schedule, mm -hmm. and to technically do everything correctly, you're right. They would. A patient would have to empty their bladder and go mm. sit in a chair or, or be recumbent in a, you know, for you know, 10, 15 minutes, correct size cuff. Sometimes if you have, if it's elevated, they're repeated immediately right then and there mm -hmm. and take an average of three. Or sometimes they'll have you uh, wait and, uh, you know, a few minutes and come back and read it or take it at the end of the visit after you've been sitting uh, sitting for a while. And uh, so, and sometimes they'll have you do it at home. Obviously you'll have right. a different different equipment than some, uh, than the doctor's office. I'm not a big pan, a fan of electronic blood pressure cuffs. Mm. I'm a fan of manual cuff, uh, cuffs with, with stethoscopes, but I know that's very hard for the typical person to do at home. Um, so there's, there's ways to make sure that your electronic cuff, uh, your uh, Omicron or uh, uh, Omicron, uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, Omron, excuse Omron, me. Yeah, yeah Omron. Yeah, we know what's on the brain. Yeah, COVID. that's right. The Omron blood pressure cuffs that typically are, are, are available electronically for thirty-five bucks are pretty reasonable if you have the right size cuff and you follow the instructions. Mm -hmm. um, and you can measure it against them. You, know, you can gauge it against uh, your office cuff. Uh, you know, you can have you bring it into the office. The doctor could take theirs. You take yours with your home machine, and they should be fairly close. Okay. That's good to know. Okay, so um, now that we've kind of talked about like the nuts and bolts aspect of blood pressure, how it works, what the readings are, all that kind of stuff, I want to talk about the things I think are going to be more um, impacting on the people listening to this. Number one is who will be affected by high blood pressure and when, mm -hmm. um, and then also what what are the impacts mm -hmm. on on the body. Sure. So let's talk about who who will be affected by blood high blood pressure or hypertension. So. The typical hypertensive person that we see, the typical benign essential, the most common cause for hypertension, once again, not the congenital, not the kids and the, the preteens and teens, that it would be unusual to have hypertension. And that's why they have to have special uh, checkout uh, to make sure there's nothing else going on. Mm -hmm. So the typical person that we end up seeing typically is in their late 20s, early 30s. Typically, because they stop getting their shots and seeing their pediatrician mm. once they're finished high school, yeah. so typically we don't see them for college in the first, you know, first first few, you know, first many years after college, and then we start seeing them, you know, late twenties for certain reasons or early thirties, whenever they start having families and stuff like that, having uh, to, to get life insurance and stuff mm -hmm. like that, then they may start, then they start showing up. Uh, but oftentimes these people have had because of drinking, smoking, overweight, may have already had elevated blood pressure for years before they ever show up. Um, as a natural part of their, their getting to know, know a doc, uh, their physician. Sure. Um, so, so first, uh, so youngsters aside, those are special cases. Pediatricians and take care of those, um, and family medicine doctors who take care of pediatrics. Um, but that's important to check. But usually, we we start thinking about checking eighteen year olds and above. Okay. Certainly, certainly, if they don't have any big risk factors, they're not smoking, they're not drinking, they're not obese, it doesn't run in their family. You can check, you do a blood pressure check at age 15, eighteen. If everything's fine, they don't have any risk factors, family history, et cetera, you can check them again in five years. Uh, if any of them is even borderline, uh, then they typically will be checked within a few months to a year. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the, that's pretty reasonable. Uh, and, and once again, 
typical blood pressure check if you sit down for 10 15 minutes is only you know it's less than you know less than 60 seconds to get it done sure and you have that number you stash it away in your phone or wherever your medical record and you could compare and that's important to be able to compare reasonable ones reasonable re- accurate ones sure. um, and and that'll give you a hint about what's happening and that's not the only thing but though that's 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 the start Sure. And certainly if anybody who has hypertension who is being treated, they're going to be checked several times a year to make sure there's no medication adjustments, et cetera, or if they gain a bunch of weight or something else changes in their lifestyle, uh, then they should be checked. Mm-hmm. Some people lose weight. Sometimes they need to be decreased on their blood pressure medicine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. So it sounds like, you know, basically 18 and over is the right time to start screening for high blood pressure. Right. And it can, you can, people can present with high blood pressure, elevated bl- bl- blood pressure pretty much at any point in their That's right. adult lives, you know, t- depending on what their lifestyles are like, right? That's right. And people think that by looking at somebody because they're thin or they don't smoke mm-hmm. that they must not have blood pressure, they must not have cholesterol, probably must not. And the answer is, it's, or heart disease, it's totally incorrect. Wow. Yeah. So certainly if you smoke, drink, and are over, significant, or overweight, or significant overweight, it increases your risk, but it doesn't mean that you don't have any risk whenever you're thin and don't smoke and don't drink yeah. and or exercise. Right. Yeah. Are um, are there certain groups of people who are more susceptible to hypertension, either due to age or race factors? Yeah, well, certainly you and I were talking about this uh, pregnancy. So uh, mm-hmm. the good news about women in pregnancy is that they watched very carefully right. for, for many months. And uh, that's so preg- PIH, pregnancy-induced hypertension, oftentimes second or third, typically third trimester. Uh, and uh, so oftentimes these people um, don't have a blood pressure issue beforehand. Uh, may have significant weight gain, fluid retention, et cetera, mm. uh, or may not have any of that stuff and still have uh, hypertension. They have different limits. They have different number uh, targets for women when they're pregnant, by the mm-hmm. way, not the same targets as we listed here. Um, and that's a very special case. The other group of people, <clears throat> the elderly, uh, so the elderly also. So as we grow older, our elastic blood vessels mm. <clears throat> tend to be more rigid, yeah. uh, a little hard, you know, quote unquote hardening of the artery. So you lose elasticity. And so uh, that, that tends to happen as we grow older. And older for us, by the way, people are probably in your 40s and above. People think, well, somewhere, you know, my grandfather's, you know, but we, we like to remind people that uh, we will, uh, you know, rigid, some of the elasticity issues uh, that start going away probably late 30s into your 40s. Did you hear that, y'all? Yeah. Your arteries and blood vessels can lose elasticity starting in your 40s. Yeah, and even if you don't smoke, <laughs> even if you don't smoke and drink. By the way, this is the same with our tendons. This is you know, you know, professional athletes. That's why we don't have you know. This is why if you try to be weekend warrior, you snap, sure. and pop it, pop your tendon, your Achilles tendon, yeah. because a lot of, we lose a lot of elasticity. Yeah. Your skin, collagen, right? Collagen to... and uh, etc. Yeah. So, uh, so it's important for people to recognize that. Okay. And then, uh, then other groups are. Um, uh, are African Americans well black blacks because uh, certain uh, the certain uh, the black ethnicity they can come from Africa they can come from Caribbean other places uh, sub-Saharan Africa so um, so those those people those groups of people are at increased risk of getting hypertension mm-hmm. uh, they're increased risk of other things that also can lead to hypertension we can come back to that do we have any idea why that is is it I mean just certain ethnicities tend to be more prone to different types of conditions or is there yeah so about it turns out in the United States probably about 57 58 percent of uh, of blacks uh, this is a, a coming from whichever or uh, country of origin uh, are, are, are develop hypertension yeah whereas uh, Caucasians uh, the whites in, in the United 
United States, probably closer to, uh, you know, 40, 48, 43, 48%, 45, mm-hmm. 48%. So there is more prevalent, uh, uh, more prevalent in the black population. And it's also, um, and we think in part is partly the renin, this is one of the systems, this is one of the hormone systems, mm-hmm. the renin, renin angiotensin aldosterone system, uh, which uh, deals with um, fluid retention and salt uh, retention okay. uh, uh, is uh, maybe more sensitive. And that's why we oftentimes will offer uh, both uh, elderly folk and black folk uh, more likely to offer them diuretics and a calcium channel blockers. It tends to work better in those two groups of people. Okay. So just yeah. kind of one of those physiological differences Absolutely. between different genetic makeups. That's right. Or, you know, whatever, heritage. That's right. Um, okay. So that that's really interesting. So, um, you know, so certain groups of people, regardless of lifestyle factors, can be more susceptible Mm-hmm. Age takes a role, um, obviously smoking, drinking, overweight, that kind of thing, diet, all of that right. takes a role. So um, once someone has established that they have high blood pressure, hypertension, what are we looking about or what are we looking at for treatment? So all the stages, elevated, uh, if uh, that becomes stage one or stage two or a hypertensive crisis, all, all stages uh, need to have um, um, uh, some long-term lifestyle uh, changes, uh, oftentimes whether it's weight loss, uh, decrease alcohol or stopping alcohol, stop smoking. There's no safe level of smoking. Uh, 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 those are the certainly the big things that are modifiable lifestyle risk factors. So that's the first thing. Some people need medicines right away. Mm. So uh, typically, uh, certainly stage two and hypertensive crisis, you just don't want to stop it. Watch what you eat, eat more vegetables, et cetera. We'll talk about the DASH diet. Um, so, so oftentimes in, uh, with stage one, They'll, they'll start either with uh, with diet and exercise and then bring them back in a couple months, or oftentimes they'll start diet and exercise and start one medicine. By the time you're at stage two, well, 140 millimeters of mercury on the top number, or 90 millimeters or higher on the bottom number, on stage two, they're already starting on two medicines at the same time. Wow. <clears throat> plus lifestyle changes. Uh, so, and uh, for our, for hypertensive crisis, these people are very special, um, and oftentimes they're being seen in the emergency room or in patients, et cetera, because their blood pressure is so high they could potentially have a stroke within minutes to hours. Wow, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, so there's different based on the severity, basically different combinations of medications. Lifestyle changes are encouraged for everybody, and we'll talk more about the Dash mm-hmm. diet as well. Um, one thing that I uh, neglected to bring up before that I had kind of foreshadowed to are the the implications of high blood pressure. Yeah. What um what other comorbidities is high blood pressure high blood pressure implicated in? So so uh, high blood pressure may be the leading the first uh, sign that there's increased risk for diabetes. This is something yeah. that people it's like what does blood pressure have to do with blood sugars? They share some of the same common um, metabolic uh, effects. But uh, so it, it turns out that uh, that people maybe potentially with elevated blood pressures uh, that are uh, that are uh, can uh, significantly increase their risk of of diabetes have diabetes later down the line. Mm. So that's the first thing. So therefore, by lowering blood pressure before they have, the patient has full blown diabetes, it potentially re- it actually can reduce the risk of going on to to, to uh, having full blown diabetes. So lower, so. Increased blood pressure can lead to potentially for diabetes, increased diabetes risk. And reducing blood pressure can decrease the risk of developing diabetes. Interesting. So that's the first thing. <clears throat> Certainly strokes, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, retinal bleeds. Um, uh, heart attacks and heart failure. Uh, heart failure is congestive heart failure with fluid retention. Mm-hmm. Uh, kidney disease and kidney failure and um and a need for dialysis. Mm-hmm. Peripheral artery disease, these are blocked arteries in your legs where people can lose their limbs because they block their arteries. So <clears throat> because these blood vessels are everywhere in the body, 
I go brain, eyes, carotids for, for, for these are neck arteries for strokes, mm. uh, uh, heart attacks and heart failure, uh, atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular heartbeat, the number one cause for atrial fibrillation in the United States is hypertension. Atrial mm. fibrillation is an irregular heartbeat that requires uh, sometimes blood thinners because whenever your heart is not pumping correctly, blood can pool and develop clots, clots. and these clots yeah. can shoot out to your, to your, to your, your brain. Um, and then kidney disease and kidney failure and, and, and dialysis and peripheral artery disease. Uh, so that's that's the, the, the kind of so you can see that hypertension affects practically every every aspect of your body wow. your function. Would it be would it be accurate to say that high blood pressure or elevated blood pressure can be kind of a canary in the coal mine? It is to you know point to something else more serious coming down the pike. That's right. In fact, it's probably the most it's it's um, it's the most easily modifiable. Uh, 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 risk factor for for end organ problems end organs are your eyes your kidneys your heart uh, uh your brain uh, your your arteries and your legs so this is probably the most easily modifiable uh, whether we modify it through diet and exercise or modify it through through mm. medicines and certainly we can access these numbers as unlike blood cholesterol where you have to be sure. fasting get a blood and yeah. get an order or blood sugars where you have to prick yourself blood pressure you put your arm in a blood pressure cuff and you can get a pretty right. reasonable number very easy to test for <clears throat> yeah. so i know you said that um you know controlling identifying and then controlling uh blood pressure for someone who is either uh pre-diabetic or pe- or has history de- at risk for developing diabetes mm-hmm. um could could you also help to prevent either the the severity or the actual start of any of the other conditions that you talked about all of them right by by monitoring your blood pressure and doing things to lower it or keep it in a healthy range that's right okay i i always forget to tell people you know it's not that we're trying to lower your sugar so you could you know you could look better what we're trying to do is lower your risk of having a stroke or heart yeah. attack or kidney failure so everything that we're doing it doesn't matter where you start, whether you start by lowering, you know, stopping tobacco or lowering your weight or, 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 or treating your sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. That's another uh, thing. All these things can help. Uh, uh, all these things help reduce the risk of, of, of disability and death. Mm. And disability includes strokes and heart attacks and heart failure and kidney failure and death. Yeah. So that's and of what course, these are not for. just like end diseases for people in their 90s. Like right. this, is, this is stuff that really affects people in the core of their lives. It, it's, it, it's at their peak uh, right. their peak earning potential right. their, their peak time to enjoy their 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 their, their spouse their their mm-hmm. partner their kids uh their, you know uh, so it's a peak time in your life you're not at the end, at the end of your life where you're you know you're just you're sitting rocking in your chair watching out everybody else have a good life this is the peak production of productivity of your life mm-hmm. can you can you tell us a little bit i think that um I'm co- sort of speaking for my cohort here. Again, I'm in my th- early 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, how how does alcohol and nicotine affect my blood pressure, sure. and why? Like, yeah, how how does it affect that? They seem totally unrelated, but how do they affect it? Sure. Well, alcohol. Uh, so one of the ways alcohol affects blood pressure is certainly weight gain. So extra calories. Mm, okay. So that's weight gain, and weight gain for any reason, whether you're on antidepressants that make you gain weight, or you're depressed that makes you gain weight, or or you overeat, or you stop playing sports, you gain weight. Uh, weight gain uh, is uh, is an issue. In this case, alcohol. Uh, so whether it's the beer gut or, mm. or, or whatever else is is one of the issues. Um, uh, the uh, um, the um, um, and stopping al- alcohol does not automatically immediately drop your blood pressure, but you can see benefits within a couple of weeks. Sure. And then anything else that physiologically that happens over months and stuff, you can see further lowering of blood pressure. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the. In fact, that's one of the 
in my practice, that was one of the people that were closet drinking were one of the reasons where I spent lots of time, energy, and money trying to figure out why we couldn't control the blood pressure with multiple medicines. And oftentimes wow. they were drinking or were, and not asked, telling us about it yeah. or had restarted drinking after they'd stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, absolutely. Nicotine uh, constricts, uh, causes constriction of blood vessels. Mm. Uh, so that's the other thing that, that causes. And also, same thing, uh, you know, stopping nicotine within a few, few uh, weeks, you can see some potential benefit in, in terms of blood pressure. Right. Uh, and then and, uh, and it goes from there. It's important to say that that's a function of nicotine too, right? Not just tobacco, but e-cigarettes, anything right. that you know, anything that has nicotine in it is going right. to be a, a vasoconstrictor. Is that how? Is right. that that's right? Something that constricts your blood pressure, your blood vessels. Okay, that's right. Look at me with yep. the words. Okay, cool. Okay, so um, let's talk about um, the Dash diet. So we talked about a bunch of lifestyle changes. Um, this is something. Did the Mayo Clinic develop the Dash diet, or no, it's just this published it was by the them? Gov- yeah, the government. The government. Uh, yeah, okay, awesome. Right. Can you can you tell us a little bit about this? Sure, and we'll have this also on our of website. Of course. Yeah, the the the, the Dash diet uh, stands for the Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension D A S H, and it's not to be confused with Mrs. Dash. You know, the no, the, yeah. the, the, the salt substitute. The salt free. <laughs> right. So delightful seasoning blend. <laughs> so this dash diet actually also helps weight loss too. And by the way, there are a lot of different any way that you lose weight. And not I'm not going to talk eating disorders and other, and being mm. sick from with the flu. Although you lose potentially lose weight with those, it can also lower your blood pressure. But any way you lose weight turns out is uh, it can help your blood pressure, help uh, coronary artery disease, etc. So a lot of the things that uh, shorten and, and make your life w- worse for uh, in terms of morbidity, sickness, and mortality. Okay. Uh, but but it turns out that it turns out this the dash is uh, high in potassium, calcium, magnesium, fiber, and protein, low in saturated fats, and low in sodium. Okay. So a lot of the stuff is going to be uh, fresh vegetables um, and um, and uh, lower saturated fats and lower sodium. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, once again, we're everybody you know sodium is, is we automatically have a taste for sodium from from, from right. infancy. Right. It's it's a it's, it's a part of our our, our nature. But we all become used to different levels of sodium so that if you take a break for several months from adding uh, salt and then you have just a natural uh, little bit of salt, it's super, you, you're super sensitized to it. Right. So people think, well, it tastes bland, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But if you give yourself time, uh, it becomes a kind of a new normal. Uh, so And it's acceptable. Yeah. I know that's something that kind of ratchet it, ratchets up our tolerance for sugar and salt and fat in our diets is uh, processed foods. Yes. So switching to much more natural home-cooked meals that are right. low in processed sugars, processed carbohydrates, and processed food in general, avoiding even like restaurant meals taste f- delicious and rich because they are loaded with right. salt and fat that's correct. and sugar. That's so. Correct. Minimizing your intake of those things can help to reset that. And, uh, I mean, and, and I know tolerance. you. I know you love to cook, and I, I think do. I think um, you're exactly right. It turns out that um, um, cooking for yourself, learning to cook for yourself, actually uh, automatically uh, can bring some of the things n- 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 under control and still taste good to, uh, for you. Right. Um, and so I know it's the time, energy, and sometimes people feel the money, especially nowadays with some of the economic. Uh, Issues that we have, I mean, groceries have gotten higher in mm-hmm. the last several years. But it turns out that 
that it's true that if you cook for yourself, you tend to have better portion control um, and mm. you tend to have more control over certain ingredients. You can spice things uh, up differently right. and decrease your sodium and still have flavor. And that I think yeah. that's that's part of the cravings that we have for calories and stuff is because some things are just bland yes. and, and we just keep eating, eating, eating. And it's not as no, satisfying. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, one one quick little tidbit I would throw out there for if you if you think something is is missing kind of an unctuousness or something when you're t- when you're making something you feel like this this tastes a little bland. Sometimes adding a little salt helps, but often you're missing acid. Mm-hmm. So a squeeze of lemon mm-hmm. or a teeny Very bit good. of apple cider vinegar right. or something like that can really help to balance out those flavors. It does. So and you know wake up the flavors in the same way that a little bit of extra salt might. So. You and, take that one home. And visual, and as you know, visually, if you add a little a little uh, acid and stuff to your sauces, it brightens them up. And so, yeah. uh, so that's uh, so. And something that we're not taught at all is some of the presentation, some of the visual. Sure. We, we eat with our eyes, eyes first, as they yeah, say. Absolutely. So, um, so what what Vanessa brings in, we should probably do a whole talk about that about yes. about about cooking is because it's uh, it's not old fashioned a lot of people are into it for their foodies and stuff like sure. that they go out to eat but yeah. they also cook at home more and that's an i think that's a very extremely healthy trend yeah okay so we're going to kind of close it out here with like some takeaways what we want people to act on now that they've heard this information so i think First and foremost, get connected with a primary care physician or a nurse practitioner in family medicine, somebody that you can establish a healthcare relationship with that's going to help you screen for high blood pressure and then monitor your blood pressure going that's forward. Right. Um, knowing your family history is really important. Do you have a family, a family history of high blood pressure, stroke, heart disease, peripheral artery disease? Any of those things mm-hmm. will help to clue you in that you need to be more aware of your own blood pressure that's right. throughout the course of your life. Um, routine screening starting at age 18, mm-hmm. um, not, and it's important for us to remember that you won't be able to tell if your blood pressure is elevated at all, just based on how you look or feel. Um, if you're, if you're thin and young and relatively active, you could still have elevated blood pressure. There's no, they're not physical indicators really to tell you, That's right. um, monitor, learn, learning to monitor your own blood pressure is really great. Getting a well-fitting cuff at home. Um, obviously, having it monitored regularly in your doctor's office, those are all great things to have so that you can compare resting blood pressure over different periods of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, managing lifestyle factors. So quitting smoking um, or you know, e-cigarettes, anything with nicotine, reducing or quitting drinking, lowering your salt intake, mm-hmm. lowering your intake of uh, processed foods. Um, does exercise help with blood pressure at all? Right, and I lump it in with obesity, but it's totally separate, obviously. So we should talk about that in sleep apnea. So absolutely. So it turns, it turns out that exercise, which naturally raises your blood pressure so you can mm-hmm. feed more blood to your exercising muscle, is normal. But whenever you rest and recover, and as you get in more shape over months, your recovery blood pressure tends to be lower than baseline. So gotcha. it, so you start from a certain baseline, and you and you exercise, your blood pressure go, and pulse go up. And then after you know 30 minutes, after you stop exercising, your resting blood pressure is, is even lower. So it makes uh, your butt, your your heart more efficient, right? That's correct. Okay, that's your right. whole Eventually. cardiovascular system more efficient. I remind people, a lot of stuff doesn't feel right or feel good right away, but yep. if you're doing it, you know, give it several months. People say, you'll feel great. Didn't you feel great for going? Actually, actually no, I had hurt and I'm short <laughs> of breath and, and everything. 
thing. So injury, I want people to avoid injury whenever they're exercising because that puts you back sometimes months to a whole year, depending on how bad the injury is. Uh, so, but uh, actually, in, uh, regular exercises is uh, I, people talk high intensity for forty minutes. Uh, you know, forty yeah. minutes, five five or more times per week. Uh, but the quickie answer is a lot of people can't even bend over and, and tie their shoes without being short of breath. So yeah. start slowly uh, and, and work, work your way <laughs> Yep, Start slowly and work your way up. Yeah. And then eventually, something that we didn't learn in med school is that that weight so resistance training doesn't mm, have to it yeah. could be body weight against gravity. Sure. Uh, so it turns out that's important. So that's we should talk about that as another uh, as a, uh, exercise and, and uh, kind of understand the high intensity intermittent training. Sure. Maybe some of the better. Uh, ways to control weight and and get cardiovascular fitness all right well thanks so much dr tadros for giving us this informative overview of high blood pressure and hypertension you're welcome hypertension. Oh, i want to remind everybody about sleep apnea oh Often, yeah oftentimes it's with obesity but not always it's called obstructive sleep apnea uh, uh that uh, is one of the big causes for uh for uh difficult to treat hypertension is that oh. um, people stop breathing at night increases pulmonary resistance, increases heart uh, uh, thickening, muscle uh, heart wall thickening, um, can it read also to hypertension? And so, yeah. Interesting. yeah. And a good primary care physician is going to help you look right. at all these different things that might be contributing to your blood that's pressure, correct. correct? You got it. Yes, that's important. It's comprehensive, um, um, uh, 360 uh, look at your, uh, your whole, everything from family history to your lifestyle, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Yeah, I think this was really informative. I know it's got me thinking more about, um, you know, how much salt I'm eating and, you know, being more consistent with monitoring my my own blood pressure. Um, I certainly want to prevent myself from any of those longer term consequences. And I know that I need to start thinking about it now because I'm nearing 40, 40. <laughs> you're when you're, you're always a waste. When you're when you're art, when you start to lose elasticity in your body. So it's really it is important to start thinking about it. Yeah. So um, once again, if you want to get involved with the podcast, if you have any questions for us or suggestions for topics, please reach out to us at notyourdocpod at gmail.com. That's notyourdocpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at notyourdocpod. Um, and you can also find us on YouTube. The Not Your Doc podcast is on YouTube and Spotify. Thank you. You're welcome. Dr. Tadros. Good discussion. We'll talk some more about this later. Yeah, this is a good straight-ahead medical one. I like yep. it. All right, y'all. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. This previous podcast represents my opinions and the opinions of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I'm not establishing a physician-patient relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions that you may have.